All right, here we are. What a, what a special episode, huh? We are lawyer talk off the record, but now we're on the air, right? On the air, our first real guest. And we've got, we've got I think, a really significant guest. I mean, some of this, you know, some of this has been tongue-in-cheek, but today we're going to talk about some serious stuff, I think. And uh, uh, before we even do that, Aaron, why don't you introduce yourself, actually? Yeah, I'm Aaron Davies, and I'm the executive director with the Juvenile Justice Coalition. All right, so you know every you know a lot about juvenile justice, right? I do. But what about the parking here at Five Eleven? <laughs> <laughs> also familiar. Do not park in the back lot. Yeah. Um, and if you have to run immediately back to your car and park it somewhere else, yeah. it's parking park- wars out here. <laughs> it park- it's parking lot wars for sure. But, the good uh, news is your lunch break, you come into Steve's office, you hang out in the back here by the window and you can just watch the fun. Unfold. Yeah. I just, I watch people all day long from the window here at the five eleven headquarters. They but, park, they stare at the, the sign, whether or not, uh, it says I shouldn't park here. It says I'm going to get towed, but uh, you know, <laughs> maybe I can get around it. Well, anyway, let, let, let's sort of jump to the topic. Anybody who has followed local news anyway knows that we've been involved in a fairly, I dare even use the word newsworthy, but just let's just say a media case mm-hmm. involving a, a young boy who was uh, recently bound over, treated as an adult, and then ultimately sentenced to prison. And I have not been shy about my opinion on whether this kid, and I'll stress that word kid, mm-hmm. Should have been bound over, and and we'll get into some of those details and facts. But you're, have you watched that? I imagine in your, yeah, we've been following the case um, for sure. We we follow most juvenile court cases that happen in the state that come to the attention of the media. So and and we, you mean you're at the Juvenile Justice Coalition? I mean, tell us a little bit. What is that? I mean, I, I maybe I wish I should have talked to you before, but let's uh, let's go through it now. Yeah, so we um, are a nonprofit organization that works to reform the juvenile justice system um, to make it work better for the young people who come in front of the juvenile courts. Um, so we really use research, and we also use um, we have relationships with young people who have been involved in the juvenile court system, who have been suspended and expelled from school, um, and so we really work with. Uh, legislator uh legislators the supreme court and the state agencies to reform the system to make it work better for kids wow that's awesome and that's here in ohio yes we're based here in columbus is it only do you only deal with ohio issues do you get out of state? we do um we belong to a national um umbrella organization called the national juvenile justice network i'm on the leadership team there um but that's like the umbrella organization of all the state advocacy groups i gotta ask how do you find yourself doing this kind of work i am an attorney graduated from ohio state moritz Um, i'm sorry the ohio state State university michael e moritz college of law um When when did you finish there uh 2004 um and i moved out to dc for six years awesome um yeah worked for the department of agriculture for a year and then actually worked for two members of congress on the house side um for a couple years and then actually started lobbying for kids in the adult criminal justice system that's awesome my wife just came back from dc she loves it nice says i have to go yeah i've never been it's a good place to visit yeah tough place well i mean uh, i'm just gonna just throw the first huge topic out there what is a juvenile binder? Everybody's heard me talk about this either mm-hmm. on the news and, and some of the news medias that, that have interviewed us. They're like, all right, what's a bind over? Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? I mean, you're probably the pro here. 
Yeah. So a bind over is when a person um, who's under the age of 18, so a child, um, is transferred from the juvenile court system into the adult court system. And in Ohio every year, um, last year was 168 um, kids. It's been right around like the 150 range the past couple of years. Um, and essentially what happens is the young person is removed from the juvenile court's jurisdiction and transferred to adult jurisdiction. Um, and there's a couple types of bindovers, and it basically it comes down to the person's age and the offense that they're charged with. Now there is a little there's a little glitch recently in the law in Ohio, right? The Supreme Court, Ohio Supreme Court said they said you can't do it. There's no more mandatory. You're talking about two types of bindovers, and the first one's mandatory, where there's just no choice. If if somebody right. if there's a little bit of evidence or probable cause or uh, maybe just like half the evidence says he committed the crime or she committed the crime. They're going to adult court. Right. At, at what age? So 16, mandatory bindover usually applies to 16 and 17 year olds who are, again, charged with certain offenses, so not convicted. Um, and so those young people, um, don't get any type of hearing. They don't get, um, their mental health considered. Um, they don't get, um, the circumstances of the offense, what role they played. We had a young man who, um, the first time we found out that he was, um, under a severe mental health issue and actually having hallucinations oh, was wow. after he was sentenced to prison as a 16 year old. It took that long. Yes. And it's, it, it just, it seems so backwards to me that you would just take a kid. We don't do that with a death penalty. We don't do it with anything. Right. I mean, it's so backwards to say just because you allegedly did this, mm -hmm. you're going next door right. and bye bye. I mean, you're going to the department of corrections. Right. Um, I was reading something a while back that basically said, I think 100 years from now, 200 years from now, we will look back and totally reevaluate the prison system, the jail system, how we're treating people. Mm -hmm. And then when you apply it to juveniles, it's even crazier because they don't even have developed brains yet. Right. Well, this, this gets right into it. You haven't, you haven't, I, I give this speech all the time, speech in the right word. I give this talk all the time <laughs> mm -hmm. to clients, particularly clients who are coming in with their parents. And I don't care if they're juveniles, often, you know, in their 20s, sometimes. Mm -hmm. A little bit older, I, it's, I call it my frontal cortex speech. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you're saying, mm hmm. But, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> what, because I, I think maybe scientifically, and I hope you can help me mm -hmm. hone my speech, but mm -hmm. uh, there's parts of the brain, the frontal cortex, which affects your decision making, mm -hmm. uh, uh, impulse control, and those kind mm -hmm. of things just don't develop, particularly in, in young men, like mm -hmm. they do or as they would later. So what you are now as a juvenile at 15 is nothing – you just don't even know what that person can become. Right. All right. Help me out. What's Am I right? Am I on point? Yes. And so that's why the whole juvenile court system was created, right? To recognize this really fundamental difference between kids and adults. And this has actually been recognized by the U.S. Supreme Court. And I think it's interesting. Um, we just stopped the death penalty for kids who are under 18 in 2005. Wow. Wow. 2005. So it's, it has not been that long. Mm -hmm. We were um, executing kids yes. until 2005. Correct. Correct. Um, and so basically what happens is your brain develops from kind of the back of your neck to the front of your forehead. Um, and that those brain scans were actually a key part of the court making its decisions. Um, they then subsequently said you cannot um, 
sentence youth to life without parole for non-homicide offenses. You can't do mandatory life without parole, even for homicide offenses. And the brain scans played a big part in that. And it's exactly what you're saying is, and we all know this, right? Like we were all teenagers. We know teenagers. We made dumb decisions. And I'm definitely not still the person I was at 17. I know. Can you imagine? I mean, it's like I was a jackass. Right. I probably wouldn't be alive, to be honest. Right. I was 15, 16, 17. I was a jackass. Mm -hmm. And now here I am. Well, I'm not going to say I'm not a jackass. Oh, hey, it's, <laughs> but the point is, I, I don't think I even resemble mm-hmm. any of those decisions, how I talk to others, treat others, the ridiculous clothes you wear, mm-hmm. and even the risky decisions I made in my teens mm-hmm. that, frankly, and this is probably, I'm not, I'll just admit it, could have landed me easily Absolutely. in Absolutely. a juvenile court setting mm-hmm. where I'm yep. looking at real trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got lucky. And I think a lot of us maybe sitting here got lucky. Uh, Well, and I think it's luck, but I also think the scales are tilted in a certain way. So what we see a lot of is um, criminalization of pretty typical adolescent behaviors and not not as much in the adult court system. But um, so 80 percent of the young people who are bound over to the adult criminal justice system are black. Is that right? Okay. And black kids only make up 18% of the youth population in Ohio. Wow. So there's a huge disparity that exists there, and certain young people are more likely to be transferred to the adult court system. And is there is there any empirical data? I mean, what we're talking about, is that a racist statistic? Or is that is there empirical data that sort of that, that ascribes? Is that the right word? Subscribes. Subscribe. Anyway, is there a particular data that, that, that shows that that's It is a word now, remember? We can create whatever we want. Describe racism <laughs> yeah. to the motive. I, right. I, you get well, what I'm trying to say. I don't know how you can say no. I mean, right. The facts I mean, are the facts. Are judges getting together and being like, hey, we should send black kids to right. adult? Right. No, of course, that's not happening, right? Like That wouldn't be fair. That would be challenged. Um, but the reality is the way that the laws are set up um, and what we know from research shows that self-reporting data, white and black youth commit offenses at the same level. Um, so if you think, for example, a lot of mandatory bindovers are gun um, offenses, um, that's just going to be more likely fall on the black community. Even though white kids and black kids have guns in equal numbers, you know, the type of gun, whether it's legal or not, how those guns are used in different cultures. Um, a lot of our young people that we work with carry guns for safe, their own personal safety. Um, and so it gets very complicated very quickly. Yeah, it sounds like it. And, but it's still a pretty remarkable stat. I mean, it's an incredible stat. Yeah. Um, but I've, I, I've been in those situations before where I have a judge sort of looking down their nose at me saying, your guy did this, this, and this, this is so bad, but the person's 21 years old and I'm going, I grew up in Canton, Illinois. I didn't carry a gun to school. I I didn't grow up where this kid grew up and the right. environment he grew up in. Well, and right? it, this is sort of interesting if you want to relate it to what we do. We do criminal defense here. That's what right. I've done. And I think we do it on a pretty high level. At least I, I like to think we do. But it costs money. And mm-hmm. I I quit doing court-appointed work a long time ago. And here's, here's, I'll give you an interesting uh, tidbit. I used to love going to juvenile court and doing juvenile-appointed work. Mm-hmm. Even long after I didn't need the money, mm-hmm. to, to the appointmentless money, frankly, was if I even told people what you made, it's almost laughable. Mm-hmm. I'd be there all day mm-hmm. for four hearings and I'd get like $150. And, you know, they're like, well, it's $150. Well, think of the overhead and everything else we have to do. It's like you couldn't survive on it, but I did right. it. Now, here's what's interesting. I had tried murder cases in adult court. I had tried bind over case or I'd done bind over hearings in juvenile court. 
I had had a couple major felony one, two, three trials in different counties around the state. Mm -hmm. And our juvenile court said, sorry, if you don't go do all this training, that's going to cost you, I don't remember how much it was. I can't say the cost was the deterrent. It was more the principle for me. Mm. That if you don't go do this, you're off the list. And I said, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you going to sign up? No, I'm not signing up to do any more training. It's like, it's absurd. I got mm-hmm. my CLE, my education. I don't need it. Um, and that- but it is an animal of itself. I mean, I get why they want you to do it. I mean, obviously, you're experiencing, you can hack through the problem. But at the time, it was five years in, maybe at the time. Yeah. Five years of law practice. But I do find myself going when I go to juvenile court and sort of like having to re, like, okay, you know, let me, let me, let me get my bearings here of what I need to do. And that's the other thing that I think is lost with lawyers is I get these people that are getting a court appointed lawyer and they say, Oh, well, I got a public pretender or I've got this. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, especially in the juvenile system, the lawyers that are appointed to help or the ones that work for the public defender's office are the most qualified of anyone mm-hmm. oh, just yeah. because of their experience. Juvenile public defenders are awesome. Mm. The work they put mm-hmm. in and what they do and what they believe in. I, in fact, I talk to one. I, I'll find myself asking them questions. I do. It How do time. you do this? Mm-hmm. I, I talked to, I talked to one. The other day I was in court, juvenile court on something else. And she said, you still got the case. And I said, yeah. And I had some explicatives about it probably, but <laughs> they, they all just shook their head. And this sort of circles back to what we're talking about. Um, my case was the other type of bind over, which is a non-mandatory per discretionary, discretionary mm-hmm. bind over. How's that work? So under discretionary bind over, um, the prosecutor has to file the bind over. Um, and discretionary bind overs can be any felony committed by a 14 year old or above. So it's actually a really broad, you know, swath of cases that can fall into. And that's where your 80% is falling, right? On discretionary? So the 80% is both mandatory and discretionary. Okay. Okay. Yep. Um, so discretionary bind over requires the probable cause hearing that mandatory bind over requires, but then it also requires an evaluation to determine whether the young person is rehabilitatable in the juvenile court. So can this young person, if we kept them in the juvenile court, succeed? Um, and that requires an independent evaluation from the court. Um, the attorneys can get their own independent evaluations, but that kind of looks into um, more the the young person's mental health, um, more adolescent factors that the judge can take into consideration. And, and we're, I'm going to get, we're going to really dig into the psychology here in a second. Um, but you used the term probable cause hearing, um, in law, what we do, it's like every, the best way to say this, I guess we'll just do some quick little definitional stuff. Um, in a, an adult court, we talk about proof beyond a reasonable doubt in a criminal case. That means there's just a substantial amount of evidence. Say if it's, you're on, a, mm-hmm. on one to 10, you got eight, eight or nine, depending on who you talk to. Probable cause is just above 50%. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you really look at the, how we view as lawyers, how the judges and magistrates view probable cause, it's, it's just a little bit better than a coin toss. Mm-hmm. That's all they need. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take much. So, I mean, look, in my practical experience, a probable cause hearing is, for the most part, a waste of my time. Right. Um, I would say 80 to 90% of hearings have probable cause. I mean, it's very rare that we would see a bind over rejected on probable cause. I got We got to brag here. Eric Yavich. He, it's Yavich and Palmer. Mm. That's the law firm. Mm. Eric Yavich died in 2008. Mm. He was my, he was my brother. You know, it's like we, we, we did, we built this place for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he had the only Matlock. We call, Eric used to call him Matlock. <laughs> you know, in Matlock, there would always, there would always be this moment where the witness would break down on the witness stand and say, <laughs> you're right. I didn't do it. I did it. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And Eric was in juvenile court on a bind over. Mm. And it was a probable cause hearing. And we mm. did it. See, strategically, we do it for evidentiary reasons because as mm-hmm. lawyers doing criminal work, we know the case is probably going next door mm-hmm. to adult It's a prelim. So it's kind of like an adult get, prelim. Yeah, we get to get witnesses under oath and just basically take their deposition and get their statements. And in Ohio, that's a, that's a big opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, but Eric cross-examined this poor lady, and she finally just confessed that she had no idea if it was the kid that was sitting next to Eric or anybody else. She just didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a strong-arm aggravated robbery with a gun. Mm-hmm. Wow. And he saved that kid. That kid, mm-hmm. they, 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 I don't know what he, I wish I could look up what he's doing, but my guess is he probably saved that kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anyway, we're, we're way off topic. Um, let's talk about the amenability side of this, mm-hmm. which is the psychology. Now, you said there's experts. What do they do? What does an expert who mm-hmm. is hired by the court or somebody else do with a kid? Yeah, so the expert, basically in under the law in Ohio, there's factors for and against transfer. And so what the expert does is kind of take the young person's social history, um, their information, their, um, you know, where they are right now in terms of like education, mental health, all those things, and kind of compiles that all together and then says to the court, based on the things that I know, I think that this young person can or cannot be rehabilitated. If they can't be rehabilitated, they can just go to the adult system. If they can, they stay there in the juvenile court system. Do you, have you ever looked at I guess the the data or studies, how often it goes one way or another with the experts who they look at? No, that information is actually pretty impossible to get. Um, Juvenile court records are um, confidential Mm -hmm. and sealed. And so there's no way to access that information. Um, You would really have to go um, to the individual courts um, individually and ask them the statistics. And they probably don't even keep those stats. We, um, we had our client evaluated. Mm-hmm. Um, the court ordered an evaluation uh, through NetCare, right? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. NetCare did it. That's a that's a local psychologist. I guess they mm-hmm. do a lot of mental, mental health, health services yeah. and mm-hmm. stuff. And we hired a psychologist mm-hmm. who is actually would be the one that if you called NetCare mm-hmm. and said, we have the most complicated case you could possibly mm-hmm. get mm-hmm. and nobody knows what to do mm-hmm. and we need the best of the best, they would call our doctor. They would call Dr. Davis. He's mm-hmm. the guy. Are you familiar with him? Yeah, I know Dr. Davis. Yeah, he's What's great. What's your opinion? I mean, I'm just he's smiling. fantastic. Yeah, yeah you do a great. lot of like trainings and things like that together. He's so. awesome. Yeah, he's really good. I sat down with him for the first time, and you know, look, I, I, I'm I, I'm going to be honest about it. As lawyers, particularly criminal defense lawyers, we hire experts because we're trying to get an opinion that we like. Mm-hmm. He was. I mean, you remember when we had that first meeting with him? Absolutely. He was clear, mm-hmm. like. Don't just pay me because you think I'm yep. saying your kid's going to stay in juvie court. <laughs> well, those are questions you're asking. Like, do you say we're never going to bind anybody over? I'm never going to. He goes, oh, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very specific about how I do things, and mm-hmm. I'm going to come to the conclusion I'm going to come to. It doesn't matter who's paying me or, yeah. you know, what I think should happen. He has years of expertise on the specific amenability determination. Yeah, and he had facts, mm-hmm. uh, empirical data, stuff at his finger, like citations. He goes, mm-hmm. oh, I think that was in whatever magazine. Mm-hmm. He, he could cite He's one of those guys you just want to sit and listen to. Yes. And let him tell his story about how he got here. Mm-hmm. How is, I think you have a pretty high opinion. How do the courts – how do the courts – do you have an idea how the courts generally view Dr. I, Davis? He's generally very respected in the court system. I mean, my take on it was if Dr. Davis says so, it's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, and the hard thing is with that, I mean, you can get, I've seen evaluations that one comes back 
amenable, one comes back not, one, you know, so it's, it's just so hard to tell, but, um, but yeah, I would think he does a very thorough job. He's done this for a long time, the specific evaluation. What is, um, let's talk about kids and psychology just a little bit. Do you have any thoughts or on, actually, do you ever, I'll just ask, I mean, if it's, if it's true, it's true. Do you ever think there's a, there's a time when a child ought to be bound over and treated as an adult? No, um, I really don't. I mean, the research on kids in the adult system, even just prosecuting a young person in the adult system actually increases the likelihood that they'll reoffend. Um, we also know what the research says is that young people are more of at risk of um, physical and sexual assault during their entire time in the prison system. Which probably loops back to the first point. Right, yeah. right. Um, and I mean, if you think about it, we're taking kids who are developing their identity and giving them role models of people who are in the adult prison system. Right. And so we're basically saying to these kids... We're assigning them an identity and then surrounding with them with people who will continue that identity for right. them. So if they're dabbling in white supremacy, they're going to be sitting around white supremacists. Right. Yep. Right. It, it's funny. that, And that was essentially – did you watch what we said? Did you follow that case closely enough? Yeah. Yeah. I, I read the articles. Yeah. And there was a whole – one of the news stations had actually the whole clip. You could just – I've never seen him do that. I actually called the guy and said thank you. But they had the whole hearing. Mm. on the webpage because so often I've done a number of media cases over the last 20 some years, but so often they just take, the, there'll be a snippet of something. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, I said that, but it, I said mm -hmm. all this other mm -hmm. stuff right. first, right. but they got it. That's the media for you though. That, you know, I, I, I in our local media is generally pretty good, I think, but mm -hmm. it, this was as fair as it gets. Mm -hmm. And there's been this sort of outcrying of support. I've seen letters to papers and some other stuff about it. But that was my point. And Dr. Davis helped me reach it. Mm -hmm. um, people were like, how'd you come up with that? And I was like, well, you get to know the case and mm -hmm. it just sort of flows. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it just dawned on me as I was standing there in court to say, wait a minute. If you want to deter others from, or if you want to protect society, for mm -hmm. instance, against a risk of recidivism, mm -hmm. um, that means you commit more crimes. So mm -hmm. people get in trouble twice or three times. Then send him to prison. Right. If you want to turn this kid into a racist, send him to prison. Mm -hmm. If you want to make him a criminal, send him to prison. Right. And it's funny how that – are you familiar with the, the adult sentencing criteria? Uh, no. I try right. to stay away as much as I can. There's, there's, <laughs> they built in this balancing test. But the big picture is you look at – Recidivism, are they going to mm -hmm. do it again? Deterrence, others from mm -hmm. doing that conduct. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, danger to society. Uh, and then just straight punishment. Mm -hmm. and it's funny because everything in my case, all the psychology pointed, it was all ass backwards. Mm -hmm. So if, like, if you, the only reason to send my client to prison that made any logical, philosophical, or rational sense was punishment. Mm -hmm. um, and everything else sort of would have looped back. Mm-hmm. And, and gone against the guy, the mm -hmm. sentencing mm -hmm. thoughts, because you want to create a risk to society, send a kid to prison where he's going to become a criminal right? and commit crimes. Yeah. And what we know specifically about adolescents, too, is deterrence doesn't work for kids. Why not? Um, because when we're kids, when we do things, we can't. We're not good at predicting what the outcome is going to be. Right. Like how many stupid things did we do that we're like, right. This seems like fun. I'm just going to do this, right? Do and you don't think through like, well, wait a minute. If I do this, it, this might happen, and then I might get in trouble. Like, it just doesn't happen for kids that way. And they don't also don't, like, 
It's not like kids are sitting down every day reading the paper and being like, oh, this kid got sentenced for this thing. I could get sentenced for this thing if I did it too. You know, it just doesn't right. happen for adults. And frankly, I don't think it happens for adults that often, right? Like, if we if it did, like the death penalty, no one would be killing anyone anymore, right? Right. Yeah, I think it's sort of farcical on some level to say that right. there was a. I actually made this argument. It's funny because we'll get to it, it, the irony of this is really sort of it just put the whole thing in focus. Mm-hmm. The other argument we made at sentencing time was if you think sending this young boy to the penitentiary Mm -hmm. is somehow going to reach some other kid in any part of this country or the world Mm. who is sitting down thinking, I think I'm going to draw a map and and talk to other kids Mm -hmm. about shooting a school up. I think I'm going to go commit a crime. Uh Uh-oh. But this kid went to prison. I better not do that. (laughs) It just doesn't happen. It's it's absurd. It's nothing short of absurd. Mm -hmm. Um, So it, well, I mean, we just brought it up. How does the, and then, then, well, let me finish my point. The last, then what happens is, then you get this Florida situation mm-hmm. right on the heels of it. Yeah. Right. So clearly it didn't deter that. Right. right. And that's, I think, an interesting piece of this puzzle too is, and this is a little off topic, but um, susp- using suspensions and expulsions, right? And yeah. like the kid who did the Florida offense was mm-hmm. expelled. And so what are we doing? I also had a young person who we worked with who um, he brought marijuana to school. They suspended him for 45 days for bringing marijuana to school. You know what that kid did? He sat home and smoked pot for 45 days, right? So I think we have to be really careful as adults of like what we're deciding for these young people. And also like your client. So juvenile court jurisdiction goes up to age 21. Yeah. So he could yeah. have stayed if he got four, you know, four years in prison. He could have served that in a DYS facility or most of it. Um, yep. And it's just such a, it's such a complicated problem. I mean, it really is. I think mm-hmm. because it's just we had these people we've already talked about that are not developed yet. They're still mm-hmm. deciding who they are. And I know I decided, and probably everyone in this room decided who they were. A lot of times in that time period, mm-hmm. I didn't know who I was in high school, but then you develop and you kind of out on your own in college and you're making choices and thinking about who you want to want to be. Well, during that time period, our current client gets to sit and stare at a jail cell with a bunch of people that have committed crimes as adults. It's an interesting, but on the flip side, we have these school shootings that keep happening. I have yeah. two little, I have two little girls. And now when I drop them off at school, it's in the back of my mind every time. Mm-hmm. My young five year old daughter came i wanted to ask questions she's five so Mm -hmm. she's in kindergarten Mm -hmm. what are they doing at her school i don't i don't know Mm -hmm. so i'm asking her questions about it sure enough they've had a conversation with the kindergartners about what to do she goes oh yeah my the principal came in and played the play played the bad guy that is incredible to me so it's this balance because do i think these these folks need real attention do i think Mm -hmm. juvenile court is a great place for them i do Mm -hmm. Because that's where we're going to fix this because what's it going to do six, seven, eight years from now? They're going to be out. They're going to sit around criminals. Right. What choices are they going to make then? Right. They're, they're felons and now they've become more educated in the criminal world, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they've formulated real opinions when it comes to whether it's hating a race, whether it's, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's really scary. So it's this, it's this fight that we now have in our world and what's right. I don't know. If you accept the, and I'm going to get, I think we're going to dig back a little more into the school thing. Are you okay with that mm-hmm. later? Yeah. Okay, okay great. Um, but in a case where you take the most impressionable time mm-hmm. of a child, a, a kid, mm-hmm. to figure out who they are, mm-hmm. and 
what there are services available where we can really shape that. We can we can we can do something with that time. So if somebody is this now, uh, and this person uh, is is somebody who's talking about committing a violent act, like drawing a map and, and doing things at a school, it's like can that be changed? And are you are there studies on that? It's like is a kid. What if, I get here? What if, if somebody's amenable to treatment in juvenile court? What's there in juvenile court to work with them? What, what do they get? Right. So it really depends. There's like a, a whole range, and it depends also geography. Um, but given that the case was here, like, there's plenty of resources. Franklin County, 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 right? Yeah. Um, and so um, you know, the most extreme would be sending the young person to a youth prison, so a DYS uh, Department of Youth Services run facility. Um, but what other states are seeing is actually like, so Connecticut's actually closing all of its youth prisons. And what studies have shown is you can even serve really high risk young people in the community with evidence-based programs. And Ohio has those programs in place. Um, they're relatively inexpensive. Incarcerating one young person in Ohio for one year costs $180,000, wow. which is eight years at Ohio State. What's an evidence-based program? So it's a program that's been um, proven to work, essentially. Okay. So in Ohio, funds um, $30 million-ish worth okay. of evidence-based programming. In the We're talking stuff funds. like house arrest, counseling, regular... So one example is like multi-system um, therapy, multi-systemic therapy. Um, and what happens there is the young person's based at home, but they're assigned a um, therapist who will come and the therapist works with the family 24-7. Oh, wow. And so okay. they're on call for that family. They provide the young person with like wraparound services, like mental health services that they need. Um, they basically address the root issues for why the kid is coming to the attention of the court in the first place. You almost think, I just wrote down this number, $187,000 to how, is that what you said? Yes. For one year in prison. Correct. Or youth prison. Correct. If you spend $187,000 on professional help and services to help re, I guess re-educate re is not the right word, but just help a kid get mm -hmm. back on track mm -hmm. and give them the skills or give her the skills mm -hmm. they need. It's like, that goes a long way. You can, I mean, you said 24-7, you could have somebody in your house. Do you say that's family. for one year too? One year. That's one just year. one year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's a remarkable. That really is remarkable. It almost, it almost is like you should, we should as a, as a juvenile system, even if you're going to have bindovers, and I get that you, you would mm -hmm. be against it anyway. Right. Try that first. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Right. And I think, um, and that's why serious youth offenders, that's sort of how it works, I guess. But yeah. And for serious youth offenders, those young, and I should say, so SYO or serious youth offenders are um, kids who get blended sentences, who get sent to a DYS facility. If they do well in that facility, they do not have their adult sentence imposed. Those sentences can be imposed on children as young as 10 in Ohio. Wow. So a kid who's 10 can get a, an adult court sentence that may or may not be imposed. I don't even remember what I was doing when I was 10. Right. I, I don't you were know in that. fourth grade. You were yeah. in fourth grade, yeah. Well, I got to ask then. I mean, this is probably defensible information, I would think. I mean, we're not talking about complicated studies. I mean, it seems like it's very, it's pretty obvious. Oh, yeah. It's very clear. Where's like, the, the research all points one direction. Where's the blowback? Where's the pushback? Tough on crime politics. Yes, yes. Well, what we're seeing now. And I think also having elected judges plays into this of judges are under pressure to, Absolutely. Um, you know, err on the side of quote unquote public safety in the immediate term 
and not held accountable for the public safety in the longer term. Yeah. Um, and so, um, I think, and I think, so most of the kids who go into the adult criminal justice system, um, in Ohio spend, um, five years or less in prison. So these kids are coming back, like they're coming back to the same communities, the same issues, the same environment. Educated by who or what then, you know, or by whom or what, yeah, by whom. And I mean, how I'm confused about how we expect them to succeed and get on the right path. There's I don't think there's any way. And that was the I other mean, that was the other argument we made in court a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah. It was like, wait a minute. You want to protect society from these evil kids. Guess what? They're getting out. There's ain't life in prison here. Mm-hmm. It's like they get to get out. And what are you gonna do? It's like mm-hmm. then what? And what made our case really unique was he got out. Mm. He was out. Mm. Oh, yeah. He was complying with mm-hmm. Bond out. This is this is remarkable. Um the juvenile court judge halfway through the case says this boy has done awesome. He has, he's at gold or platinum status. Yeah. Mm. Um, he's a leader in a very positive way and a role model to other kids in the detention center where he's, where they had him. Um, his grades were great. Everything was awesome. And the judge says uh, very admirably over a table pounding thunderous objection by the prosecutor, mm-hmm. We're going to let him out. We're going to let him out. And I go out and she, so she gives him bond. He's out on his own recognizance with an yep. ankle monitor. Mm. Goes back. Everybody home. was skeptical. I, I talked Probation. to Yeah. Remember we, I sat and I stood. You can see the look in their eyes. Mm. Like, how's how are we going to do this? It's like nervousness. Right? Yeah. 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 And there's all these allegations of racism and all this awful stuff that was happening. And, and I knew the kid and all of it was a bunch of bunk. Mm-hmm. Um, whether, whether he wrote it, said it, did it, or it, there was banter between the kids, but. Mm-hmm. It was it was bunk, mm-hmm. um, and there's this probation officer out in the hallway, and she's looking at him and looking at me, and I and I and I looked at the family. She wasn't looking at the at client, but looking at the family. And I, I just I looked at her. I said, I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to be surprised. Mm-hmm. These people aren't going to give you any problems. Mm-hmm. This is not what they say it is. Mm-hmm. And she just looked at me like I. She's like, "Whatever you say, lawyer mm-hmm. guy." Yeah, mm-hmm. um, smooth talking guy. Mm-hmm. We came back into court for the bind over hearing, and she spoke for us mm-hmm. on his behalf. Awesome. Mm-hmm. He was out for four months. Did everything he's supposed to. It was continued with therapy. Continued with his uh, online schooling. Didn't break a rule in the house. Um, was nothing. I mean, er- he reported. Whenever he was supposed to, they all loved him. They're like, man, he's right. a good kid. Right. You know, it's funny. The state almost tried to make the argument, too, that because he was so compliant, that it, that in some way was some negative fact. You know what they said? Here's what they asked. Is this kid Is this kid very mature? He's a very mature kid. And we're like, well, yeah, I guess so. So then his argument turns around. Oh, he's mature enough to go to prison. Right. And he knows how to follow the rules to do what he's got to do now so that right. he can get what he wants. Right. And, and You know, the moment I had with, with, with him, this boy. I remember the first time I saw him at the jail and he came down and they let you sit in a little lunchroom and we talked about the case. And as we were walking back down the hallway so that he could go back to his cell, we had to lock down this long corridor and he stopped at the door and I sort of walked in and I said, what's going on, man? He's like, I can't, I can't go any further. I got to stand right here. And he has hand, hands behind his back because that's where he needed to have him. Mm. And it dawned on me. It's like, oh. He's been institutionalized. Mm-hmm. This is a boy. This is a boy that knows now I got to stop here. I keep my hands by my back at all times when I'm walking mm-hmm. to this, you know, to the, the jailers. It's, it, it, it just hit me. 
You what know? is it due to the psychology? I wonder. I mean, it's like those are the, these are the years that mm-hmm. you have to develop, and you know, I'm, I, I raised two boys, mm-hmm. and I'm sort of on. I feel like in a minority sometimes. I call it my lunchbox rule. Mm. It's like you forget your lunch. Yeah, I feel horrible. I want to bring it to you. I want to give it to you. I want to do that mm-hmm. so you can eat at school mm-hmm. and not freak out that mm-hmm. you're different. Mm-hmm. But you're hurting them more by doing that for them. And sure. We're putting these kids because they have to figure it out. And I talked to a parenting coach one time. I ever tell you the story? I was I, I was the only one that showed up at his elementary school for one of the things like parenting coach guest speaker. I was the only one. I, so it's seven o'clock at night, and I've got uh, the principal, the parenting coach, and me sitting at a cafeteria table. And I told her my lunchbox rule, and I said, "Yeah, I mean they're learning not to forget their lunch." And mm-hmm. she says, "No, no, 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 no. They're learning that if they do forget their lunch, they're going to be okay. And then the next time, they can deal with that problem, and incrementally they can mm-hmm. deal with that problem." So what does it do? I mean, what are your thoughts on this? It just dawned on me. If you get a kid who's stuck in a juvenile detention center mm-hmm. or DYS or worse yet, prison, what is he learning to do on his own? Right. And that's famously why, I mean, again, all the research, there's there's not one study out there that's like institutionalization is really good for kids. Right. It, it, the study doesn't yeah. exist. Um, and the problem is, even if you're learning skills in the institution, you're learning them in a vacuum. Right. You're literally learning them away from all of the triggering factors that led up to you doing the offense in the first place. And you're doing it in such a regimented place that you're not like 15, 16, 17 is a time when you start taking on that financial responsibility and paying bills or seeing how much getting a job. Right. Um, I'll never forget. I had, um, a guard and an adult prison guard at the youth unit say, Oh, well, his, his cell is basically like an apartment. Hmm. I was like, no, it, it's an not apartment? even close, right? Like, no, he's not paying for any of his utilities. He's not, you know, he's locked in there. <laughs> like maybe if you're locked in your apartment. It's like, think, hours yeah. think, think your first apartment. It's like, yeah, rock and roll. Man. Right, I'm on right, my own. Right. right. Take a watch TV at midnight. No. Yeah. Bam. And that, you know, and so that actually that brings up, um, we were talking to the young people on the unit, you know, they're, so they're all under 18, right? But they've all been tried and convicted as adults. Right? So we say the unit, when you say the unit, what is... There's a special unit for young people who are under the age of 18, but okay. who are in the prison system. They can't be placed with adults. And you get to have direct interaction with them? I have in the past, yeah. Um, and so we're walking through the unit, touring the unit where the kids under 18 are kept. Um, we're like, oh, what, you know, what movies are you guys allowed to watch? And they're like, oh, we can't watch R-rated movies. Hmm. You can go like, to prison. Yeah. You can be an Treat adult like an prison adult. and considered an adult, but you cannot watch R-rated movies. Like, I'm sure the folks in the prison are watching their language, though, when they're around a juvenile and things like that, right? Man, it's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's not R-rated stuff going on in prison. Yeah. Right, right. But not in the movies. And you just talked, and you started talking, you talked about the high level of you know abuse and, and yes. rape and things like that that can happen in the prison system. Man. All right. I mean, look, but, is, is that real? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's – I think it's – Kids are small most of the time, like developmentally, like they are sm- physically smaller. And you have the the kid who's like, you know, 250, sure. like a huge kid. Like sure. you do have those kids. But you also, even for those kids who are, so the adolescent development happens on different um, 
kind of like physical, emotional, social, emotional, um, at different times for different kids. And particularly for boys, the physical often comes first, but we've, we've had kids who are like, I don't know, 120 pounds in the adult, you know, prison system. We've also had kids who may be physically look more, um, older, but they're still vulnerable socio-emotionally or psychologically to like being manipulated or peer pressure or those kind of things. So yeah, it's just one of those things. If you go in under 18, your entire stay, you are more vulnerable. And they're not treated any different when they hit the the adult system. They're not given different housing or different area. They go straight into general population. If they're 18, yes, they go straight general population. It used to be on their 18th birthday. They would like, wake the kid up and, and take them general pop. Oh. Um, oh, can you imagine? Right. Happy birthday. Anybody out there has got kids. Think about your 17 year old son. Um, and having that happen. Right. Because I'm here to tell you with Mike and people, you know, too, mm. it's like, these are normal families, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, these, these are, and if, if you think that you're such a good parent out there, that this, this crap is not going to happen on your watch. Guess again, mm-hmm. I have talked to, And look, none of this, I don't mean to add prestige to any one professor or another, but I've talked to people of all walks on the planet whose kids are in trouble. Some admittedly horrible parents. Mm -hmm. Most good, caring parents. Mm -hmm. Most of the time. Maybe overly Mm -hmm. caring, and that's caused some other issues. But most of the time, good people, Mm -hmm. whether no matter how much they make, whether Mm -hmm. they, you know, it, it, and, and I got a lot of blowback on this juvenile case we're talking about where there were parents of kids saying, should have got 10 years, yeah. you know, not enough. Now, and you're taught, mm-hmm. you're worried about your, your school yeah. system. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's it just, I, I, I can't, I, I look at these people. I'm just like, I get it. That's a knee jerk mm-hmm. sort of emotional mm-hmm. thing, but it's not real. And, and I, I thought for hours and hours and days and weeks, probably as I prepared for this case, like how can I get that point across to people? Is mm-hmm. it, I get to see it, and you do too. These are normal families, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, these are normal families. They're not getting burnt with ash or lighters and stuff like that. These are normal families. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, and we're and we're close to it. We so it's so it's a situation where we, we this wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. The, the, this, this was, was not, not going to yeah, happen. This was not going to happen. But no. then you want to put everyone in that pot. Everyone wants to be, you know, Sandy Hook, or everything wants to be this thing that happened in Florida re- recently. It's like anybody that has a little hint of that. Well, that was going to happen no matter what. And now we're going to treat it like such. And I think what you said earlier is absolutely on the money. It's like you have elected officials that are dealing with these problems and mm-hmm. people that want real answers. I mean, the fastest way to get unelected, right, is to have right. a case that goes wrong. You know, like, yep. so you let that, you let somebody out and, and something happens. School, yep. right? I mean, yep. immediately you're not elected. Yep. I mean, laws get changed at that point. Like, mm-hmm. we constantly fight against that yep. of like the one case. Where yes, this did happen in this yep. one case, and it was awful and tragic, right? But that doesn't mean it happens right a hundred percent of the time, or even close. Well, it could happen at any time. But, you, you know, know yes. you could have a drunk driver in front of you that could you right. know, go out next time and kill somebody. We right. had uh, we were in court in a different county, and uh, a judge on the bench said this. I think you, I don't remember who was with me. I think you were with me, Jeff. Where the judge says any law that's named after somebody is usually a bad one, right? Oh, wow. You know, and it's interesting because it's built on emotion, politics, not rational uh, legislative debate. Right. Uh, and, and that's sort of what we're talking about here, right? I got Absolutely. I blowback yeah. because uh, other things have happened. 
But, uh, and I'll just say this. I mean, I'm, I, I represented t- 23 years now. I think it was my 23rd year. Um, I remember 10 years or 10, 12 years ago, this is a, this is a misdemeanor charge. Mm-hmm. This is a misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. Inducing, inducing panic. panic mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're I still had, charging some of these as inducing panic. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. I think Bill brought up something today, this morning, that an inducing panic mm-hmm. came out of some situation in Youngstown in the area. I mean, I had a or case Ken. where these two kids had planned to barricade themselves in a police department. They had they had gone f- significantly farther than than any of the, than what we were working on, and it was inducing panic, right? Yeah. And, and you know what? You know what? The, you know they justified inducing panic. No, they never could have done it. Um, and they couldn't have. Mm-hmm. And whatever was being planned in my situation, the case we worked on, it couldn't happen. Not that right. way. And it wasn't even like it. Even the judge, I'll say this, the judge, the, the best way to say it is Judge Kane, who did the sentencing, made it clear. He goes, I, I don't think this is ever going to happen. That's what he said. Yeah. Probably wasn't mm-hmm. going to do it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's remarkable. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we live in a world that sentences on public opinion in a lot of ways. Yes. And, and I don't necessarily, you know, Judge Kane, he, he listened to the facts. He did what he did. It was well within his discretion. Absolutely. And some people think it's too light. Some people think it wasn't enough. Uh, you know, it is what it is. My, my beef on this case from the beginning is why are we standing yeah, sure. in the Franklin County sure. Court of Common yeah. Pleas putting a judge in this situation mm-hmm. where he is bound by the law to treat this kid as an adult? Mm-hmm. These arguments are irrelevant over there mm-hmm. in, in large part. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So I'll go back to this. We had two experts. Mm-hmm. Both said, keep him in juvie. Both said, he's going to drift a little bit. I mean, I'm, so, I'm sort of putting my own summary of it. but mm-hmm. And maybe I'm wrong, but it's like I always call it the, the kids who smash frogs and kill animals. Mm-hmm. It's like that's, that's one mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sort of problem. Mentally, right. A right. big one, like right. psychopaths later. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think there's studies on that. that you know, it's like the, their danger of becoming serial killers mm-hmm. like over there. That's a very rare bird. Right. I've never, I maybe in one in my entire career, I thought. And um, I've gone into prisons and on death row. Yeah. Same. Same thing. Right. I've had maybe one. Um, And then over here, you get these kids. It's like, maybe they're bullied. I'm not saying that's in my case, but maybe they just haven't found their identity yet, or Mm -hmm. they're scared, or they're, they got anxiety issues, or, um, you know, I always ask. Which every kid has. Right. We were still finding ourselves. You know what I mean? I ask kids, I ask boys particularly when they come Mm -hmm. in, I said, you ever had an IEP? Mm Hmm. When they, mm-hmm. Maybe in their 22, 23, and mm-hmm. they got their third alcohol-related thing. I was like, you ever get an IEP? Mm-hmm. And they're like, what does that mean? I said, well, that's when the school, like in school, did you have like, uh, did you have to go to like the special ed place or do you have to, oh yeah, I did. I mm-hmm. did. Well, and I said, do you ever get a diet? I hear ADD. I hear, I hear um, mm-hmm. anxiety. I hear these things or dyslexia. Mm-hmm. And they've become, and I, now, I know now that that stuff just sort of punches holes in kids' self-esteem mm-hmm. at an early age, mm-hmm. which causes substance abuse, which causes acting out to get attention in all the wrong ways mm-hmm. from others. I mean, is it, you're saying, yeah, because this is all ringing a bell. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can be helped. Right. We have adults with bigger self-esteem problems than that. Right. And right. Th- these kids, we can. it's like they haven't developed their self-esteem yet. Mm-hmm. So what better time mm-hmm. to do just that? I know I'm preaching the choir, but damn. <laughs> oh, I'm getting myself well, all worked know, up. Um, so the young people who end up in our youth prisons in Ohio, um, 50% of the boys and 100% of the girls in our youth prisons in Ohio today are on their mental health caseload. I mean, they have, like, really severe mental health issues. There's also right. kids who are, um, there's actually a, a unit or a pod of kids with intellectual 
disabilities, mm -hmm. like kids who like don't have cognitive abilities. This is in a juvenile facility? In juvenile, okay. Yeah, in our youth prisons, yeah. And so the incident is likely high for mental illness, also for kids who are bound over. Yeah. Well, this goes back to what I said before. It's like, I, I don't remember who was published this article or where I heard it. Maybe I heard it on a podcast because you know, you guys know I listen to a lot of those, but this mental health component in our society. I mean, I, I have very few, and you just mentioned it, very few people I've met that I think can't be helped. Right. And when I look at how they got here, the questions that Steve is just asking, I mean, it, it is, it is incredible when you really go through somebody's background, how they were raised, you know, it's, it's, it's no surprise they're here. You know what I mean? Because they didn't have the parents that were around or they didn't have the opportunities that maybe we had sitting here. Um, so I think we'll look back in a lot of years and say, you know, the same things we're talking about with juveniles today, we should have been applying to adults. We shouldn't have just been locking right. them up for five years and then letting them out with the same problems. No right. counseling, no help, no nothing. Well, I think it's also for us a question of society of what do we criminalize, right? Sure. So we criminalize blackness in our society. We criminalize adolescent behavior committed by certain young people. We um, criminalize, like, and at what point do we decide a, a young person is disposable? Right. At one point, you said, and I think, I think about this in like the bullying debate too, right? If you have a kid who's like, you know, probably a jerk a little bit, like all of us were jerks at some point. Sure. sure. They get labeled a bully. Um, well, Palmer was never a jerk. Uh, You're always a nice yeah, guy. Yeah, I'll, take, I'll take that label. I, I, was a, I, could, I, I was a real dickhead at times. Right. Don't question about it, right? See? We're all guilty of it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I'm not but, proud of it, but it is true. It, right. But we all are, right? It's part of yeah. our development. And I, like yeah. we get labeled as a bully and then all of a sudden, you know, there's a bill right now that would suspend and expel bullies from school, you know, and it, it's just at what point do we throw that away and say, oh, you're irredeemable, mm. you know? Well, you've suspended yeah. the bully from school, and this is going to take my lunchbox rule to the next level, which mm. is now other kids don't learn how to interact with that kind of person. Right, right. So you're, you're, it's like the parent is intervening in the natural developmental process, or this, not the parent, mm -hmm. but the system is sort of, yep. it's, it's depriving our kids of this opportunity to learn how to be adults. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And adults are depriving them of that opportunity to be adults. Right. Like we adults run these systems, right? Yeah. And I think that's the disconnect is like we adults are overreacting to very typical we're helicoptering parenting as oh, full yeah. systems. You're just speaking his language now. You're speaking my language. <laughs> because <laughs> if it this would be like, look, I, I we used to fight. Kids fight, boys fight, yeah. and grades. Yeah. That's what we do. I mean it's like you and I think there's in the old days. It's like there, it was sort of like yeah, they're boys. They got to mm -hmm. figure it out. Yeah, like my dad did. I got to fight my brother one time in a glass walled racquetball court. Okay, <laughs> at the YMCA. Oops. Crowded. Oops. My dad let it happen. <laughs> he just said, "Have it out." Slot and slot the door, <laughs> UFC style. Right. Have at it. You're selling tickets outside. Yeah. And, and I, <laughs> we, I don't think either of us won anything. <laughs> but I remember walking out of there. I was like, "Boy, I feel like a real moron." Yeah, I mean, I, I really yeah. felt like right. because I think a lot of that fighting is designed to get your parents' attention mm -hmm. or get somebody's attention. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he was just like, "Screw it! Mm -hmm. You guys are going to be just do it. I don't mm -hmm. care." Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I mean, I'm sure we fought again after that, but I, I've never forgotten that lesson. And now that would never happen. Mm -hmm. yeah. well, it was just such it's such a different world. I mean, I don't. I didn't know juvenile court when I was a juvenile. Mm -hmm. I'd never heard of juvenile court. I didn't know anything like that existed. I guess I saw on TV people went to jail or they had court for something. Mm -hmm. 
But back in the day when there was a bully in, you know, my grade, and I remember bullies, my mom used to say, just ball up your fist, punch him square in the nose. Mm. Yeah. If I do that now, I'm in juvenile court for assault. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. It's funny. I, I, but that was a, a huge lesson. I, and that, de- that is who, how you develop dealing with problems. I talked to the principal. There was a bullying incident. We got to have a bully story from you, though. At my. <laughs> Because <laughs> we're all telling we're all telling our bully stories. Child. Yeah, there was a, a principal where my kids go to school. There was this bullying incident. Uh, there was one kid that everybody was saying was a bully to all these other kids, and you know, I, I had this conversation with him. And I was just like, "Look, I mean, we all know how this problem has to get solved, mm-hmm. and you guys can have all the meetings you want. You can intervene. You can have these happy, feel good parent mm-hmm. conferences about what we're doing to stop it. Mm-hmm. Somebody needed to punch a kid in the nose, right? And it's done. It helps him and it helps the other kids." <laughs> It's like, that's what it was. And I talked to the counselor. In fact, the same counselor was working with our client. He's, he's known in town. He does a great job with kids. And he just said about bullying, yeah, stick the guy's head in the locker and take a day off school. Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. you're going to get suspended. It's like that life. Christmas story. You guys seen the Christmas story? Yes. When he beats that kid up. Yes. Like the other one runs away. I'm telling my dad on you. <laughs> right, right, right. right. But it stopped it. Yeah. But, well, and we take away those opportunities to figure out how to resolve conflict away. Yeah, and then, like, people don't know how to do it anymore. Yeah. I would say many adults even struggle with how to resolve conflict. We do. Yeah. It's hard for us. In productive ways. Yeah. It's very hard for yeah. us. And God forbid we have to say we're sorry for something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's it's true. It's it's hard to do. And you know. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to tell her. Um, yeah. I'd love to hear some story from you about working directly with a juvenile and sort of mm-hmm. what you've gotten out of that or a success story that you've seen um, yeah. from somebody that was kind of in the, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but no, no. somebody that was kind of, you know, down deep in it that everybody sort of forgot about. Maybe somebody who the rest of the world is saying, this kid's hopeless. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, the person who immediately pops to mind is um, this person who I worked with. He's actually my age. I'm 38. Um, and he went in when he was 16 um, on um, murder, a murder charge. He supplied the gun. Um, in a kind of drug deal robbery gone bad. He was not the, the shooter, but he was there um, and had supplied the gun. Um, and he, um, so I went to interview him, and this was a couple of years ago, but just to know that we were the same age um, and my life trajectory and his life trajectory. Sure. Um, and he's completely turned his life around. He's really um, just a super smart um, I would have no problems with him moving next door to me. Yeah. You know, like yeah. zero mm-hmm. qualms. Um, he keeps getting denied parole. You know, I mean, he, he is going to be a while before he ever wow. gets out. But I think. What age did he go in? 16. 16 went in and he's now. 38. Oh, I'm not trying to. 38. 38. Mm-hmm. I know so you're not supposed to ask a woman's age. You were just supposed to listen. Yeah, right. You're right. <laughs> Uh uh Um, but even just thinking through like our trajectories at that age right and we were he could have totally roles could have totally been reversed and they weren't and um it's like and it's like your guys's client too like it's like this ball gets rolling and there's no like there should be some point where you're like okay 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 we get it right like the kid gets it like he's never gonna do this again i promise Right, right but it's like too far gone to like stop the boulder yeah. like rolling down the hill. I almost got this sense in our case. And that's as strong as I'll maybe not. I, don't, I almost got, I'll say it that way for now. I almost got the sense in our case. Everybody thought mm-hmm. that 
this kid was going to stay in juvenile court. Mm -hmm. Everybody talked. Why? Because the number one expert, expert perhaps in the country, says mm -hmm. he could be helped in juvenile mm -hmm. court. Mm -hmm. And he didn't say it lightly without doing right. all the workup he does and without credentials. And then, just to be sure, the court orders net care, and they do their own. And, yeah, sure enough, he can be helped here. Mm -hmm. We've dealt with thousands of kids, and this mm -hmm. is one that we can help. Mm -hmm. And then the probation department comes in and says, great kid. In fact, we had a chance to test him what he's going to do mm -hmm. when he's out mm -hmm. in society. Mm -hmm. A success story. Mm -hmm. And then the electronic monitoring people come in. Yeah, he's, uh, that's it. And then, at the, uh, ironically, I didn't have this yet because it hadn't happened in time yet. It's sentencing time in adult court. Teachers mm. are volunteering. Mm -hmm. African American teachers, black teacher, yeah, are, are volunteering to come in. And, and her statement, I couldn't even, I couldn't even listen without choking up. I was mm -hmm. like, "This is amazing." She called me the morning before the sentencing. And she goes, "You know, I'd like to. I, mm -hmm. I'm going to send you some letters from all his teachers. We have all talked, <clears throat> and they came. And she came in and gave the statement about this kid. And I think when going back to the juvenile thing, the juvenile bind over hearing, nobody wanted to do the right thing mm -hmm. and just keep them in juvenile court because they all thought that the judge will do it. And that way it's not on me. Mm -hmm. um, and then the judge sort of shocks everybody and ignores all this evidence and says, I, you know what, I've done some research and I think I can do this. So I'm just going to bind him over and incites a bunch of rhetorical BS and um, let's revoke bond. Bye -bye. And, and revokes his bond. Um, but I, I sort of got the sense that the prosecutor's office just didn't want to make the call, and they wanted the judge to have to make the call. And this is this is this is the problem, mm -hmm. because like you said, the ball got rolling, mm -hmm. and nobody was willing to stop it. Mm -mm. And I felt like, um, who's the guy? Sisyphus. You keep pushing the ball up the hill, and then it comes down. Or whatever. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's like a Sisyphus task know. or something, but. <laughs> It's like it, it, it got to this point where every time we thought we had it, finally, mm -hmm. it's like, all right, huh, now we got Dr. Davis. Right. It's like this was Gettysburg, you know, it's the right, turning point. Right, um, No. All right, now we got net care. Yeah. No. No. I got the Jew. Now he's getting them. out, and if he's out and then there's no issues, then mm -hmm. there's no way they'd send him back. Well, how, how could you possibly justify that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I got, and then, no. I got juvenile prosecutors, public defenders, everybody saying, oh, don't worry, Dr. Davis said mm -hmm. it. They always follow Dr. Davis because he's always right. Mm. And no, no. So he still ends up over there because mm. I think nobody had the political uh, courage, for lack mm. of a better way to say it, mm. to stop it. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's the poster child for juvenile court. Mm -hmm. And he showed it to him. Right. He showed it to him. Well, that I, think, I, can, I can be better. I made a mistake. I screwed up. Right. And now let's, too, let's grow. As a young person, like listening to this all. So one thing that adolescents really focus on is, is fairness. Right. And like, you are much more likely to get something out of your experience in the system. If you think the system treated you fairly. Right. And to have to listen to all of these, to sit there and listen as yourself of all of these evaluations of yourself yeah, and have all these people in your corner and still have it not work out. Ooh, like I didn't think of that. The crushingness of that for a young person and to know that you're going to adult prison, right? Like, like that moment changes you. There's yeah. there's no way that you come out of that moment without a lot of work. It's like a piece of trash. Right. You're getting thrown out. That no one believes you can change for the better. Yeah. Why would you? 
Right. So what do you say? Those, those words. And who goes through that? Have, that who's is? been sat in down and, and done that? I've never been evaluated like that. So right. not only to go through that process, but then to be told no. And, and here's, here, this is, this is the, the two words I always tell my clients never to say, but it's almost impossible not to say it when you're in that situation. Never say fuck it. <laughs> right? Right. Because whatever you do after you say fuck it is invariably going to be a horrible thing. Right. right? Oh, yeah. fuck it. I'll just, and then you just go mm-hmm. do it. How could you not We're have really that? fun. I mean. We're really fun. Right. right. Yeah, really fun. Right. <laughs> Which is a line. Right. There's a <laughs> lot. Well, maybe fun's a place. Right. 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 But uh, how could you not say that at that time? It's like, well, screw it then. I'm yeah, I, 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 I give up. Hope, I give throw right? my hands up. up. And yep. then, then, because then, rehabilitation, if it takes anything, it takes the person to want to, right? I mean, that's the It thing. takes right. hope. It fundamentally takes hope. hope. That's right. That I can, I'm not what these adults say that I am. I'm going to be a good person. Right. Well, and I, you know, it's, I'm going to, I'm going to shift gears in a second, but I want to say one more thing about our case. And that was, I, I tried to always implore upon everybody that this was a boy. I didn't mm-hmm. call him a man. I didn't call him, mm-hmm. you know, he's a boy. He mm-hmm. was a kid. Even mm-hmm. at 17, mm-hmm. he was a kid. Mm-hmm. I could tell. Mm-hmm. And, and Bill Fornia with our office, who was at council table with me, um, went to see him the day before mm-hmm. the sentence. Mm-hmm. The day before this kid is going to face an adult court judge perhaps go to an adult court prison and suffer whatever can happen to him there. I mean, he's not too young to comprehend that. Right. Um, you, know, he's, you know, he's got a big smile on his face. You know why? He got to go outside and have a snowball fight. It's like, he's, he's, a, he's a kid, right? He wants a snowball fight. Yeah. And he's going to get sentenced to four years in prison the next day. And what's he thinking about? Man, it was an awesome day. I had a snowball fight. And they let us go out and play in the snow. It, it's... I've, I've represented enough adult criminals to know they don't say stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, all right. That's so depressing. Oh, it's awful. Mm. I've lost probably years of my life because of this case. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always, we always try to build this barrier and do what we can, but I can't do my job effectively if I do that. So, you know, but, it's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. Well, Aaron, day to day, what's your, um, what sort of your goals for the juvenile system? What kind of things are you working on? Yeah. So we, um, it really depends. So we work with, you know, the legislature, the courts, the um, state agencies to change laws and policies. So two years ago, we passed a truancy bill um, before kids, if they missed enough school, um, they could just be sent straight to the juvenile court system. And what we did was kind of put stop gaps in place to say, actually, the school has to work with you for 60 days before um, they okay. send you to the juvenile court and try to re-engage you in school. So just putting up yeah. things like that. Um, there's actually a bill pending in the legislature right now that would get rid of mandatory bindover. So we're supporting that. So oh, that would awesome. make all Absolutely. bindovers discretionary. Absolutely. So those are the kind of things that we advocate for. We also do um, organizing of youth and families who have been through the system or at risk, so kids who have been suspended and expelled, and we have them inform what they think the policy should be, and then we'll have them like go testify. So we've had oh. young people go testify in the legislature. Wow, that's great. That's and awesome. an 11-year-old girl testify about her suspensions and expulsions during the truancy bill. Um, so, yeah, it's it's different every day. But those are the it's weird with with we truancy. Do. I'm trying to like come up with a comparison. It's like it's almost like driving under suspension. Right. It's like. You. You need to be here to learn. You need to be here to right. get educated. But because you're missing, we're just going to don't come back for 30 days or two right. days or whatever. Right. It's like the driving intervention. Just keep coming back because it's like, well, I got to drive for work. I got to be able to pay my bills and I don't have a license and I can't pay to get my license back. I'm just going to keep driving. Well, and the lesson that that sends as a kid, right? Like I want to stay home from school. 
and I'm not going, or I, or I can't get to school. And now the school is actively telling me not to come. Right. That's great. Like as adults, right. like we just have to think through like, okay, wait, right. <laughs> what, what lesson are we sending? And so that truancy bill actually said, um, there used to be 6,000 suspensions and expulsions just for truancy every year. And the, that bill eliminated suspensions and expulsions for truancy. That's funny. My buddy, we had, I, I'll tell one quick story. We had, um, Saturday school. When mm-hmm. I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And that meant that if you screwed up so badly, yep. you got your detentions, then you really screw up, then you get your Saturday school. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get it, if you skip Saturday school, you get suspended. Well, they made a movie about that. We got uh, <laughs> Breakfast Club. My buddy, <laughs> they did. Yeah. My buddy, my buddy, a good friend of mine, he's successful now. And we mm-hmm. were just, it was our senior year maybe. And the, the principal comes up to him and he says, You know, Joe, you, you, you missed, you skipped Saturday school. Joe says, I know. And he sort of gave us this look like, come on, man. Because, mm-hmm. you know, he knew that we're not bad kids. Mm-hmm. And, and Joe's like, listen, why would I go a day extra when I can go a day less? Because if I skip Saturday school, I get to take Friday off. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, what incentives yeah. are we giving to it's like, you? Yeah. Like, I thought yeah. about that. I was like, that's a really, yeah. that's a really good that's point. That's a good point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, on a serious topic, we got. To, I mean, if, if somebody's calling the Juvenile Justice Coalition and mm. says, "What about the school shooters? What's going on here?" Right. Um, I guess you guys have got to have given that some thought or some. What's your insight there? I mean, I think so much of this is based in, and we see this in the in the juvenile courts too. Of um, there just aren't enough supports for young people, and there's all systems are kind of designed at this point to be punitive, and so. What we really try to do, kind of big picture, is shift systems from being punitive to restorative. And so what restorative, punitive looks like an adult being like, you messed up. Here's what you have to do to fix it. You're a terrible person, right? And and kind of that one-way blaming versus restorative is, so for example, your client, I think your client would have been actually a perfect um case study for this, right? So with restorative, you can get folks in like a restorative circle and say, what, what did you do? What were you thinking? And what was the impact that your, you know, decision had on other people? Right. And I think that leads to much more meaningful accountability. Um, Cause then you're hearing what impact you had on other people. Um, and it gets back to this conflict resolution piece too, mm-hmm. of like, um, oh, I, I actually caused someone to feel hurt to me is a much worse, um, and there's collective accountability. So the kid and the other folks in the circle come up with like, okay, so what do we collectively need you to do to repair the harm that you've done to the community? And I think that's a much more meaningful, you know, like you have to, you have to say you're sorry yeah, and, and it's it. a much more fair process. Um, it's much more meaningful, right? Like, I don't want to make people feel bad, but as soon as we get into this punitive, like back and forth system, it becomes like, well, who's going to win and how do we outmaneuver versus like, you did something wrong and like, let's hold you accountable for that, but not throw away your life. Yeah. And that's what's going on. I mean, you're throwing away lives Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. I mean, just giving up. Well, where does he go from here? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I don't know. It's funny because 20 years ago, I mean, everybody's throwing this crap around, but 20 years ago, I mean, I, uh, there was nobody didn't seem to me when I or maybe not 20, when I was in high school, I don't remember school shootings happening. And I don't think people had any uh, less access to the weapons to do it. Um, right. And I think there's this. What year was Columbine? That really kicked it all off. 99, right? I think. 99. <laughs> so I would have still been in high school when Columbine happened. And that was that was a shocker. I mean, is it maybe it's just that they did it, so now it's in everybody's head. I, I don't know what I don't know what's going on, but 
It's like it didn't happen before. It seems like parenting in a lot of ways and how we're raising our kids right. and how we're treating our kids is changing and maybe for the worse. I, I don't know. Well, and also like the push out thing of, you know, when you suspend and expel kids who are struggling, right? Like, I don't think there's any school shooter who doesn't have an underlying like mental health. You sure. know, something I mean, something's going on that they're not processing. You may argue that few criminals don't have some yeah. totally. underlying. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And so I think if the more that we like push kids out, right, from from developing normally, right, and being around positive peers and positive role models, and the more we isolate, um, and, and that isolation typically comes through a punitive system, the more likely we are to f- encourage, actually, those isolationist behaviors and that mm. distancing, right, from of yeah. self from reality. Such a good point. I never, it's like, it, it's so obvious that I never even really gave it much thought. It's like, if a kid is not in school because you've kicked him out of school, he's not in school. And right. If he's not, and school is the place where you learn how to become an adult. At least that's traditionally how we've done right. it. Where you learn these things, you get educated, you learn how to interact with others, you learn basic rules, mm-hmm. you learn basic conduct, you learn good behavior, hopefully. I sat through a, a meeting at uh, my kid's middle school. He's going to start middle school. And it's like they, they stated their goals, which is all those things. We want to teach respect. We want to teach. They're going to learn. You know, they're going to work hard. Mm-hmm. They're going to do all these things. And, but if he doesn't do it right away or if he does something bad, we're just going to kick him out. And he didn't get the opportunity to do all those things. And then it's yeah. cyclical. I mean, then, then mm-hmm. what? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a pretty remarkable thought is that if you, you want to help them or if you want to prevent it, uh, help them. Yeah. And I think so many, like, like you were saying with your daughters, right? So many parents are like, Oh, no, no, no. I, c- I can't have that kid around my kids. Yeah. It's like, but they're the same kids. They, yeah. the, fundamentally, they are the same yeah. kids, right? And like, the further we distance instead of bringing into the fold, the more of these situations we create. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, <clears throat> my, my younger girls, uh, started at a daycare that was on the way to down in from Hilliard down here. Um, and it's in the hilltop area. Mm-hmm. And I, absolutely love the interactions that they had with the kids there Mm -hmm. growing up. Now my other one's in kindergarten now, so she's in Hilliard now, but for the first four years of her life, um, it was, it it was incredible. I mean, they had every walk of life of kid there Mm -hmm. and different races and different communities and different values too. Mm -hmm. And, I love the fact that my child came home and said, you should have seen what Veronica wore today. Mm-hmm. You should have seen when she started talking about mm-hmm. people. There was no color. Mm-hmm. There was no, hey, their, their daddy comes and he's none of that. They were people. And I love that about, mm-hmm. and, and it, it taught me a lot too, because it was like, you know what? She's not going to prep school for girls that are all people that are like her. You know, her parents are doctors and lawyers and da, da, da. She's getting real life experiences and I absolutely love that about mm-hmm. their childhood so far. Um, and I think that goes a lot with what we're talking about today. Oh, and you, you ran into this though. It's like if there's a discipline problem in those daycares, what's their first move? Or maybe not their first, but like they'll kick you out. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. I mean, they'll they, kick you out. They do, um, you know, like you start with when you're talking kids. I don't know if you have kids here, but it's mm-hmm. like uh, biting and things like mm-hmm. that happen. But mm-hmm. it is. You isolate. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like we want to. And again, I, I, I do have a strong belief that we look back just like we have in, in mm-hmm. history. He's a history buff, so he'll know. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll look back and we'll say, wait a minute. We were taking all the people that had these mental health issues that were committing these crimes and putting them in one place mm-hmm. and just locking the key, you know, throwing mm-hmm. the key away and locking them in. Even though they could it's like. Helped. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. that's what we're going to be looking back on, I think. Well, and forget about the adults for a second. I mean, not to say they don't matter, but if you're taking kids, the most impressionable 
our future, right? I mean, the children of the right. future. That's the old. That's the same. But it's like our future, the most impressionable time of their lives, and pissing it away because they made a mistake. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, it, it's lunacy. It really is nothing short of lunacy. Um, and hopefully, well, just so you know, hopefully the good news here is back to my client. Um, the court of appeals has a chance here mm-hmm. to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they mm-hmm. they have a chance to look at this and say there was no evidence whatsoever to uphold or to make a decision to bind this kid over. Mm-hmm. And even if there were some scintilla or a little amount of evidence, the overwhelming mm-hmm. uh, majority of the evidence says he's a mental. In fact, all of it did. Mm. Um, I have to ask her, have you seen that happen that's before? That's my next question. What's the there court of appeals go. been doing? It's probably not <laughs> Sorry, a I'm taking words out of your mouth. Yeah, it's not. Um, it doesn't happen often. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I, I am thinking of if I have ever heard of it happening. Well, I've made a career doing stuff that differently than everybody else has tried it. never to do it. hurts to try, right? right. right? But yeah, the, well, the, this is the one of these scenarios. I mean, I saw, you know, we're not getting taped here, but I saw the, the look in your eye when we explained you didn't know he was out. It's like there are yeah. facts here that I don't think are, I don't think there's another case out there like it. Right. With um with two separate evaluations, one from the guy that does the value evaluations, mm-hmm. the person. And then also, I mean, how often do you get to see that? How they would perform when yeah. they're released. Like real case. And he did amazing. Testing, yeah. Amazing. And not only that, let's take it one step further. We keep going back to this, but it's like not only do it amazing, but the people that he was working with that sort of scoffed at him mm-hmm. when they he was released were now coming in to testify for him. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to like him. Nope. Mm. because of what they'd heard, mm-hmm. right? They mm-hmm. didn't want to. Mm-hmm. Now, they were forced to work with him. They never would have otherwise. Mm-hmm. And because of that interaction, it finally mm-hmm. he was able to crack the shell and say, look, mm-hmm. I'm not a bad kid. I just mm-hmm. this was dumb. I get it. But mm-hmm. um, Well, and the fact that a kid even has to crack an adult's shell, I think is an interesting concept, right? Of like, what, what are we doing as adults that we're waiting for kids to teach us these les- lessons? Um, yeah, the you're on, way to, you're on something that. there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just painful in a lot yeah. of ways and probably painful for that young person. Yeah. Wow. We've been going at the hour and 13 minutes. That's pretty good. That might be the longest one yet. Aaron's yeah, interesting. We, so could, interesting. we could sit here I and talk about it. I could do this for hours because sure. there's a lot more I'd love to talk about because yeah, I love sure. the psychological. Yeah. What we deal with day in and day out, I learned. Uh, it'll be a whole other topic for another radio show or podcast show here, but uh, there was this turning point when I, I, I actually got to know who was there mm. and who was in my office, and it was a game changer, right? You, you, if you understand who that person is and how they got here, then you can really solve their problems and get to the heart of it. Right. And with younger guys particularly, I hate to keep going back to guys, but mostly it's guys who, who are... Uh, I mean, school shootings. Yeah, it's mostly guys that we deal, and they're right. and they and they're the ones that maybe I can connect with on because I am a guy. So I, mm-hmm. I mean, like, but I can see it happening. And uh, when you when you take the time to do the kind of work you're doing mm-hmm. and really learn what's going on, rather than just take this party line approach or this political approach yeah. and say, "Oh, he's a dirtball, I'll throw him mm-hmm. in prison, or be tough mm-hmm. on crime." And, and believe me, I'm I'm pretty conservative generally speaking. Mm-hmm. I, I you know, look, it is what it is, but. Um, I just think the consequences we're delivering mm-hmm. are the wrong ones. Right. Um, you know, deliver the consequence, but don't scorch the earth. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we started taking this time to really get to know our client and what got them there and whether they had the IEP, whether they have this 
a diagnosis for something mm-hmm. and get them into the counseling for the first time they've never had. Mm-hmm. It's remarkable. Yep. When adults take time and actually are curious about kids and ask them questions about their own life and treat them like they're an expert in their own life, um, instead of imposing values or imposing these punitive systems on them, it can one adult being willing to take those five minutes and ask those questions can change the trajectory of a kid's life. Hmm, and I think too, mm-hmm. too frequently in systems where we're just, you know, it becomes impersonal. It's just kind of like, well, on to the next case. On to the next one. I yep. mean, we literally had a client who the judge said, well, it's not personal, but I'm sentencing you to, to, you know, some ridiculous amount of years. And it's like, yeah, it's can personal you to say me. that's not <laughs> yeah. personal? Like, yeah. right. Like, it's just yeah. like, this isn't a business transaction. Like this person is yeah. going to live in a cage for 20 years. That's as personal as it gets. Yeah. And yeah. I think we, we remove ourselves. Like you were talking about, you know, putting up the boundaries and the walls and, and you have to do that for your own sanity at some point, but you also have to let those down in order to get to, to, you yep. have to be willing to be vulnerable. And we as adults aren't good at that either. It's, it's remarkable. I've actually, I choked myself up in court. Yeah. Uh, many times mm-hmm. and it is vulnerable it's mm-hmm. hard to do and when you the I'm only way out you get there i'm gonna out you because i think you're getting a little now i am because yeah. i'm thinking about it yeah but uh it, if you don't go that distance then you can't we don't get to advocate the way we need to right yep. we yep. don't right i can't i can't tell a federal judge about a client um on the kind of level that we all hear bad mitigation in my world, in, mm. in the criminal defense world. Oh, yeah, judge, he's 35 years old. He's got a good job as a landscaper. Uh, his mom is here supporting him. Um, uh, you know, he's only got the only prior record he's got is alcohol related. We just request, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. that's BS. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't say it. But if you can get up there and say, judge, you know, this is a kid when he was in fourth grade. Mm-hmm was in the corner because they didn't identify attention disorders mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. What did they do? They just shoved him in the corner and made him an outcast. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, then all of a sudden he becomes a class clown. And then he's acting out enough where they just kick him out of school. Mm-hmm. And then he gets out on the street where he's got to earn a living. And what's he going to do? And it, but I'm here to tell you, um, and th- then you can start turning it around. But look what he's done. I mean, it, it's sort of remarkable what people <laughs> like that are capable of doing when given mm-hmm. the chance. And if you really mm-hmm. look a lot of times mm-hmm. – I hate to say it, but even the dope dealers, it's like, oh, I, yeah. I've talked to many dope dealers and that's their story. Yeah. That is their story. Mm-hmm. And the and business. they're successful at something. The, they're entrepreneurs. The business they were running <laughs> yes. is nothing short of remarkable. <laughs> right. I'm not kidding. Right. Right down to the accounting. And Absolutely. It is amazing. Yep. Amazing. And uh, their capabilities are just all right there mm-hmm. if given a chance. And we've got a success story we're going to bring on this on our show here to talk about that. But nice. uh, w- once you get to that spot. As, a, as an advocate, and you're an advocate too mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Once you get there, that's where the good stuff happens. Right. But that's where you get kicked in the teeth too. It's like we're kicked yep. in the gut, like on this case. You do yep. it all, and it's, it's still, heartbreaking. It still goes the wrong way. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yep. all right. Well, that, that's been an hour and 17 minutes mm-hmm. and 58 seconds of a lawyer talk off the record, <laughs> but on the air uh, until now. All right. We're back on the air uh, with lawyer talk because we forgot to thank you. You're for coming in here. We can just cut it. You in. took it. You took an hour and twenty minutes out of your day to come here and talk about this stuff, uh, and who knows who's going to listen to it? But it was awesome. I yeah. really appreciate. Thank it. you. Thank you, so Aaron. Much. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks.